The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, in fact, all small businesses, and we're heard right around the world at the same time every week. Thanks for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. Over the past 12 months, we've received literally thousands and thousands of emails from over 60 countries. The majority of them are from entrepreneurs who have got questions across the whole spectrum of business. So I thought that over the last last couple of weeks in the year, to finish it off, I'd address some of the most common questions that you've asked. According to your emails, one of the biggest challenges facing entrepreneurs, particularly those initially working on their own, is how to cover all of the functions that are necessary for a business to succeed. The questions centre around having to continue developing the product while you're trying to generate revenue, whether you're doing that through sales or through investment, and still have to worry about marketing and sales and accounting and web design and a whole bunch of other crap. In my experience, creative people are usually lousy at sales, and they're also not very good at financial management and keeping books. But both of these things are absolutely critical functions of any business. So the key to solving this issue is to outsource and delegate anything that's not a must-do for you. If you don't have to do it, give it to somebody else. Then follow them up regularly. Learn as much as you can about the work that they're doing because it's no use giving somebody something to do if you don't have a clue about it because they can just hoodwink it. And the overwhelming percentage of businesses fail because of lack of business skills, not because they don't have a great idea. So one of the problems is that most entrepreneurs believe they can do everything well. And in very few cases is this true. And that leads to the failure of your business. The reality is that any entrepreneur needs to continue to develop the product and raise money while they're continuing to develop the business. And all three of those things are all specialist full-time roles. And it's amazing how many emails I receive from entrepreneurs who say, you know, I've pitched five investors and I haven't been able to raise a dime. 
and then they usually conclude that you know entrepreneur uh, that investors are assholes. You know, can't deal with them. They're hopeless. They don't want to listen. They don't understand. They haven't got any vision. I hear that all the time. And raising funds or generating revenue through sales, it's a specialist business and you need to be both skilled and diligent and be prepared to get hundreds of knockbacks before somebody loves what you're doing and gives you money. You know, it's interesting that, um, and I've said this before on the program, Walt Disney went to 420 banks before a bank said yes to Disneyland. So why do you think, with your little idea, whatever the hell it is, not as good as Disneyland, I'll bet you, that if, if Walt Disney had to go to 424 doors, what makes you think you're going to do it in three or five? The reality is you're not. And if you're focusing on raising money, you know, whether it's through trying to sell people stuff or through investment, you're not working on the business. So you need to be doing both simultaneously and you can't. So you need to work out what you're better at, better at generating revenue, or are you better at developing the product? In my experience, it really is absolutely impossible to do both. And it's very difficult when you're on your own, really struggling to get everything done. And then, for example, your computer goes down. Oops, I'm screwed. And the only person there to solve the problem is you. So another half day gone and you've got nothing done. So it's screw if, if you're trying to do everything yourself, you really are pushing it uphill. You also need somebody to bounce ideas off, to help you make the hard decisions. We talked a couple of weeks ago at how important legal advice was in the early stages of a business. It's critical, not only in the short term, but in the longer term. So you need to get legal advice. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. You also need accounting advice to help you make the right decisions, to structure the business correctly, to minimise your tax um, issues. And these things are all critical to the success of your business and you cannot do them on your own. So the key is to outsource and delegate anything that is not essential. Network with people. Trade your services for theirs or, or do whatever you can do so that you can help fill in those gaps. Get experienced business mentors. We talk over and over again on this program about how important it is for everybody to have mentors who can advise you on a wide range of issues because we all can't be good at everything. You've also got to devote time to maintain and build a network of business people. Collaborate as much as you can so that you can increase your value proposition. Get out and mix with as many people as you can. Have coffee with them. Have lunch with them. They keep you in touch with reality. And in my experience, more often than not, it'll help you generate business. And if you don't do all of these things and cover each of your business bases, you'll become one of the 97% of startups 
and small businesses that fail. I mean, that's a, that's an extraordinary statistics. Ninety-seven percent of all businesses fail, and yet the next ninety-seven percent that come along, they also fail because they didn't take any notice of the reasons why the first lot failed. I mean, how stupid are most small businesses? If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you've got to go in and you've got to do it properly. And that means running a business like an expert. It's not easy to run a business. In fact, it is bloody hard to be a successful business. And unless you cover all your bases, you will lose. Now, the second point that regularly comes up in emails is concern about, you know, just how much time it takes to sell and to generate revenue. And, you know, most entrepreneurs regard generating revenue as a pain in the ass. I mean, I'm an inventor. I create stuff. I'm not very good at selling. And not only that, I don't like it. I hear that all the time. And yet, generating money is what business is about. If you don't generate money, you don't have a business. You might have a whole pile of great-looking junk sitting in the corner, but you don't have a business. And I understand that if you're a creative entrepreneur, then going out selling is somewhere beneath you. You don't like it. You don't want to do it. I understand that. But the reality is that business is all about generating revenue. The one truism about every single business that goes broke is that they do so because they don't raise enough revenue to pay their bills. If they raise enough revenue, they'd still be in business. So you can use all the other excuses you like. You know, I hear entrepreneurs say, oh, if the government hadn't have done that or if it hadn't have rained so much or if, you know, if the weather hadn't been bad, if the, if the freeways had been easier to get around, I could have gone to more appointments. Every excuse but looking in the mirror and saying, shit, I can't run a business. So if you're not prepared to get off your ass and get out there and sell or get somebody on board, either pay them wages or give them a percentage of the business, somebody good who can sell, you know, you better go and get a job because your days as an entrepreneur are over. The third issue that comes up frequently in emails is the inability of a lot of entrepreneurs to stay focused. Too many entrepreneurs that I speak to get started on a particular project or or product, then halfway through development, they go, oh, wow, that's a great idea. I think I'll go and do that now. So they get sidetracked onto something that they think is bigger and better. You need to be 100% convinced before you start that the path you're taking with your product is the correct one. You need to do your homework. You need to do your research. You need to talk to potential customers. You need to determine that there's a need out there for what you're producing. Now, that doesn't mean that quite often you won't have to pivot. Of course you will. But each time you do is going to cost you time and money. So make sure you stay focused. And the fourth issue that comes up over and over and over again is entrepreneurs complaining about how hard it is to be an entrepreneur 
and how they have to work 60 hours a week. Well, you poor little thing. The reality is that anybody in a senior management job reporting to a bastard of a boss they don't like and not being the master of their own destiny also works 60 hours a week in this economic climate. I work more than 60 hours a week for Christ's sake. Do I do it because I have to? No. I do it because I love it. It's what I want to do. If you don't love what you do and you're not prepared to put in whatever it takes, that's as many hours a week as you have to do it, don't even think about becoming an entrepreneur because it's tough. Now, it's not easy to work on projects and find new business to go to the office depot to take really annoying phone calls to check and answer emails, to go visit your mother, go to the post office, put out the trash, fix the computer problems that you've got absolutely no idea how to do. It's not easy to do all that being a one-man band, but you have to. Unfortunately, you do need to do all these things, and the key is very careful time management. You need to schedule everything you do and still leave time for all the things that are going to go wrong because they are. The other thing, don't become an email junkie and spend your life checking emails or checking up on your friends on Facebook and what they did yesterday. Who cares? None of that stuff is going to help you or your business one iota a few weeks ago i talked about advice where i said when you get up in the morning and start work don't check your email start straight away plan your day get into the hard stuff because that's that's the stuff you've got to get behind you early and then 10 o'clock check your emails allow half an hour or so check them get them done out of the way don't check them again until 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then again at 6 o'clock at night. Nothing earth-shattering that can't wait is going to come in. You know, we've, we've got in this habit of having to do things the minute they come in and it's not necessary. Entrepreneur issue number five. When you're working from home, it's very easy to get to five o'clock in the afternoon and find, hey, I'm still in my bathrobe. You haven't showered, you haven't brushed your teeth, you stink, and so does your breath. Any minute now, you're going to turn into Howard Hughes. One minute is 7 a.m. and it's, then it's evening before you know it. Your work becomes your life and it is all consuming. Without mixing with other business people and discussing issues with your peers, you begin to talk to yourself. Your best friends, the plant in the corner. You begin giving Christmas and birthday presents to your computer. You and your computer, you and your printer are on first name terms. Pretty soon, you're going to go stark raving bonkers. And one day, in the not too distant future, you wake up, look in the mirror, and what you see is a tired old person with baggy eyes, grey hair, 
not even your dog likes you anymore. And guess what? You're still not successful. When you're an entrepreneur, you need to have both a business and a personal life, and you need to delineate the two. The biggest thing that can derail any entrepreneur is your failure to create a network of people who give you feedback on a daily basis. You need to know what's going on out there. You need to keep intellectual discussions with people going. Otherwise, you go and make decisions that could actually hurt your business. Entrepreneurs have great energy and great passion for their ideas. But frequently, they think they know everything about everything. Well, if you're one of those people, you don't. You really have to know what you don't know and create ways to get the expertise that you need to grow your business. Another issue that comes up frequently, and I must admit I've been guilty of this myself, is taking on a client project simply because right then and right there, you really need the money. In my experience, this will almost always become an issue that eats up your time and causes you a heap of grief. If it's not something that you really want to do, and it's not in the best interests of your company, don't do it. Resist the temptation. Struggle a little longer, but don't do it. Next week, I'll talk more about the questions that you've asked in your thousands of emails that you've sent me this year. Don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person. You're listening to the show because you want to hear tips on how to be more successful. That is what we are here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you've got a topic that you would like us to discuss or an email with a specific question that you would like answered, please don't hesitate to send it to me, bob at bobpritchard.com, and we will answer it on air or we'll email you directly. I'm Bob Pritchard, and after the break, I'll talk with my guest, the great entrepreneur, Vernon Hill II, who founded Metro Bank UK and Commerce Bank Corp in the US, sold it for $8.5 billion with a B. He's a great guy. And uh, I'll be back to talk to him in just a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network. 
the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we speak to people who have been extraordinarily successful. Not just your little garden variety successful, but seriously successful. And we find out what it is about them that makes them different from most of the rest of us. And perhaps we can find out what it is that we can do to enable us to emulate their success. Now, my guest today is Vernon W. Hill II, which, apart from being a pretty pretentious name, the guy's a really good guy. And he's the founder and president of Metro Bank in London, Britain's first new high street bank in over 100 years. Vernon was the founder and former chairman and president of Commerce Bank, which he founded in 1973 with just one branch and 1.5 million bucks. And grew it into a 500 bank Goliath with a market cap of 8.5 million, a billion, 8.5 billion. So from 1.5 million to 8.5 billion. More impressively, a shareholder return of 23%. So by any measure, Vernon knows a hell of a lot about banking. But more importantly, he knows a hell of a lot about people. So at a time when most people's opinion of banks is at an all-time low, what does Vernon do that's different? And I think a large part of the answer to that question is given away in the Metro Bank themes. Love your bank at last and join the revolution. And also by the name of Vernon's new book, Fans, Not Customers. Now we talk a lot on this program about the need for customers great customer service, not even great customer service, awesome customer service that um, really is the major contributor to business success these days. Vernon's also the chairman of Pet Plan in North America, which is the world's number one pet health insurer. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show, Vernon. It's great to talk to you. Bob, nice speaking to you too. Um, this program's listeners... Um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs listen to the show, and I'm constantly saying that one of the keys to being a good entrepreneur is knowing when to step down as the CEO, because being a CEO is a really specialist role, and it seems to me that very few people make great CEOs. They seem to be born, not made. Do you agree with that? Well, I sort of, yes and no is the answer to that, Bob. Uh, it <laughs> is true that uh, lots of people that start a business don't have the skills to uh, grow it to size and manage it in the complex world. But there are some people that have both the entrepreneurial talent and the management skill to grow to a big bank and uh, to yeah, a big firm. I think Steve Jobs is a good example of that. Yeah, and I think America is unique in that sense that certainly as compared to Europe, we have a lot of people that create businesses, stay with them for a long period of time, and create great wealth. I think that's a great strength of the American way. 
Yeah. So how do you create growth companies in a world that's pretty well no growth? So my book is about how you create growth companies in a no growth world. And the theme is great companies create a brand where the customer becomes part of the brand. We call it fans. And fans come to your business, they are loyal to you, and more important, they bring their friends. Everybody who uses an Apple product has tried to convince their friends to convert to Apple. Yeah. That's right now the ultimate expression of the idea of creating fans. And the book talks about um, are, there, are there common parts of great brands and models that get them to success? And the and I believe, as I've done it now twice in the banking business, and one of the themes is if you can create a growth company in the banking business, there should be no business you can't create growth. Absolutely. Uh, my experience is there are really three parts. Great businesses have a clear, differentiated, value-added business model. Yep. The most important thing is what is the business model and what does the customer see as the added value. If you get that right, and of course it's a never-ending battle, the culture has to be pervasive and reinforcing the model. Lots of businesses we see, the model and the culture are opposed to each other. They're not working together. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then, in, certainly in the retail business, you got to fanatically execute your model. You just can't be good. You have to be great. And if you think about great brands, Bob, they expect customers expect you to be better next month than you are this month sure. if the apple 5 turns out to be worse if the iphone 5 turns out to be worse than the iphone 4 you you can imagine what the damage it would do to the brand yeah it seems to me that um banking is much harder to build fans than say apple i mean apple's got Firstly, we, we spoke last week on this show about, you know, it's, it's harder to get a job at Apple Fifth Avenue than it is, than it is to get into Harvard. You know, you really have to be an exceptional person. Um, and so their customer service is fantastic. But the one thing that Apple's got is that once you get your, um, um, desktop Mac and then you get your your laptop and then you get your iPhone and then you get your iPad and then you get your all the rest of the stuff you're so locked into Apple and everything talks to each other and it's very hard to change even if you decided that iPhone 5 sucks it's very hard to get out of it because you're totally surrounded by their stuff we're in a bank um it's much more. It's much easier to just say, "Okay, I'm not going to go to that bank. I'm, I'll open an account down the road, isn't it? Or am I missing something?" Well, I mean, it's like all these things are sort of half truths, and we all have to pick the halves that make sense to us. Yeah, I look at it a slightly different way. What Apple did was reassemble electronic components off the shelf in a different way that made the experience easy and fun. Mm-hmm. That's really all. Apple has done, and they created this incredible brand. We look what we did in the retail banking business in America, and what we're doing now in Britain is reassembling the parts how retail banking is delivered. Our products aren't that much different, but we deliver them in a better way, and the customers respond. So lots of great businesses don't invent anything. They put parts together in a different way. 
But isn't I also think, I'm sorry, I also think that great companies value, understand the value of the whole more than the parts themselves. The typical big corporation, they can tell you the value of every part, but they don't understand the value of the whole. Yeah. Well, what I, why I admire what you did, and I'm not just, you know, for coin an Australian expression, pissing in your pocket. The reason I admire what you've done is that it seems to me that the hardest business to build loyalty has got to be banking because it is so easy to switch. Well, I mean, of course that's true, but there's a whole other side that even makes it harder. We have to deal with audit and compliance and regulatory and legislation. There's a whole society pushing a bank to go the other way from service. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, that's people like Apple uh, don't have to deal with that. Sure. But can you deal with these requirements, which you must meet, in a way that does not degrade the service? Uh, and over the years, we've learned how to do all those things. But you got to say to yourself, you have to – great companies make – the CEO makes the decision, makes every decision consistent with how do I, how do I strengthen my brand, not what's good this quarter. And so, if you think about Jobs or Sam Walton or Howard Schultz, they all make, they all made or make every decision about how do I make my brand better. And the brand is a reflection of the corporate culture of the leadership. The uh, we say the brand. We talk about it in the book. The brand is who we are, what we are, what the customers expect from us. And if you think about it that way, every single thing you do, every minute of every day, makes your brand stronger or weaker. Am I right in suggesting that because there's really a limited number of big banks and most people want to go to a big bank I guess um, that the average bank is not that concerned about churn because they figure that you know they lose three they pick up three or is that am I totally well America's different than uh, Britain there's still 7,000 separate banks in America uh, when I started commerce there were 24,000 banks yeah uh, so we and we grew from number 24,000 to number 18. So America does have lots of choices, and frankly, Americans, where they have a choice, prefer to bank with a local local bank than they do with the big brand names. America is very abnormal that way. It's certainly not that way in Britain or Australia. Yeah. So if fans create growth, how do you create a pervasive fan model? Well, let me describe it to you this way, Bob. What's my job as the founder and on and off as the CEO? Here's the way I look at it. My job is to, I want to get my words right here. My job is to uh, develop the model, install the model, instill the business model, enforce the business model, and improve the model. Right. So, if I, so every decision that I make fits in, the, in that grouping because our customers expect us to be better next month than we are this month. Right. So how do you balance um, the demand for quarterly results against 
going that extra mile to deliver customer service. Um, one of the one of the criticisms that I I levelled last week uh, on the show was that you know I go around and speak to businesses and I say, um, who hands up if you've got um, a budget for advertising and almost everybody sticks their hand up and then I'll say you know who has got a budget for customer retention and almost nobody um, and your you know your view is obvious that obviously that customer retention and my view too is that customer retention actually replaces your advertising budget because if you can retain customers and get good word of mouth then that brings in new customers that normally co- are very expensive to get through advertising. So is that part of the Yeah, budget? I mean, yes, of course. Uh, of course, and I have really two responses to that. It's not customer retention only. It's turning your existing customers into fans, so they're bringing in new customers. Commerce Bank in America grew 25% internally for 34 years. That's a big number. Wow, and you can only number. grow you can it's a big number and you can only grow at those rates if you're attracting people keeping customers and they're bringing their friends so uh your customer your existing customer is your best avenue to bring in new customers now advertising budgets i look at it completely different marketing is everything we do marketing is a is making the brand stronger so while Correct. advertising is part of telling the story Yep. It's not really the marketing. I agree. Yep. So, you talk about different kinds of brands. What are the different kinds of brands in your mind? Well, to simplify it, there's the basic brand where if you hear a name, you know it attaches to something. Right. As an example, Ford's a car. Yep. The next level up is when you hear a brand name, you feel good about it you know coke i like coke it sounds good yeah the top level is the emotional emotional brand where you become the brand you are embedded into the brand yeah and that's that's where we all want i used to have when i was running my bank in america people used to write me letters and say i i want to tell you Vernon, i've joined your bank And, and it always sounded funny to me that they didn't say we opened a new account with you. And it finally occurred to me, they, they thought that they were joining something better. It wasn't a bank account. This was an emotional brand that they were joining. Yeah. I, I, interestingly, because I was uh, had a couple of conversations um, with Jeff Hazlett, who was the um, marketing guru that went into um, Eastman Kodak uh, to... Um, to try and save their bacon and uh, he's a sensational guy great speaker very smart and he was saying that the biggest problem he had at um, at Kodak was to convince them that they weren't in the film business um, and he was right <laughs> um, and of course that's obvious but there's another way to look at it as we grew our bank in America we never acquired other banks we only grew uh, internally and by building new stores and you look at great brands that's the way almost all of them grow. When yeah. big companies get so big and so broken, they can't be fixed. And so, Eastman Kodak, uh, I'm sure the guy was a great manager, but they were beyond hope. Yeah, they were. So what what business is 
are banks really in? The basic business of banking since the beginning of time is taking deposits from the customer, lending it out on the commercial and consumer side, and making the spread between those two numbers. Everything else in the banking business is 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 fringe or noise. It's about taking deposits and making loans. Okay. And so, re- and remember, Bob, only banks can accept deposits. You can start making loans in the next five minutes, but you can't take a deposit. And a bank is really a government license to accept the pop deposits. Okay. You talk about. You also talk about um, stupid rules. And there's lots right. of them around. How do you kill stupid rules? You have to understand, first of all, what your value proposition is. Ours was service and convenience. So anything that impedes us delivering a, a great service and convenience experience was a stupid rule that we had to get out of the way. And I'll, I'll give you a couple in a, in, a, in a moment. But every at Commerce, and now in Metro in London, every computer uh, has a button on it to send an idea to kill a stupid rule. It's embedded into the culture about killing whatever stupid rules we can find and make sure new ones don't happen. So I'll give you a couple simple ones. Uh, Metro Bank is open every day of the week, so seven day, days a week. Three days a year we close. Right. Why shouldn't your bank, from 8 to 8, why shouldn't your bank be open like every other retailer? Yeah. Um, we actually open... 15 minutes before the opening hour and close 15 minutes after the opening hour because what makes you more mad than going to a retailer or a bank and you reach for the door handle and they're locking the door in your face? Yeah, I agree. That's one stupid rule. Um, All of us have jars of coins. We don't know what to do with the coins. Our locations in America and Metro and London have free self-service coin carrying machines. You dump your coins in, you get a receipt, you, you get money, you don't have to bank with us to use them. All right. Okay. Banks generally don't let you bring your dog in. So if you're out walking in Manhattan and you want to stop and chase and you've got your dog with you, the guard says, no, you can't bring your dog in here. Yeah. We say, we love your dog and we love you. We know your dog. We give him a biscuit. We give him a water bowl to take home. I love and the it. Customers take, and the customers take that to mean, if you love my dog, you love me. I, I love that. That's great. What I, I tell you, what you have got to start with the U.S. government. If there's ever an organization that has tens that's of right. millions of absolutely bloody stupid rules, that's got to be the first target. Um, I'm afraid it's beyond hope, Bob. <laughs> so, is America or the U.K. more favourable to doing business? You know, one of the reasons that I came here from Australia 25 years ago is that it is so much easier to do business in the United States than it is in a place like Australia. And Australia is very much more like the UK than it is like the US. So I think I know what your answer is going to be here, but um, which which is more favorable to business, the UK or the US? Well, Bob, my story is the American dream. I started with one office, limited money, no brand and no clue, and built it into a major company. I'm afraid that the American dream is being lost. The government is overreaching, overbearing, restricting success and restricting growth. So I, I'm very nervous about the future of the American dream. It is actually easier to do 
banking business in Britain than it is in America now. That's a wow. sad thing to say. Okay, so tell me about your U.S. experience and the entry into Britain. Well, uh, I, I, as you mentioned, I started our bank in 1973, Commerce, one office, nine people, million and a half, no clue. Uh, slowly turned it into a different kind of bank. Uh, went to Manhattan with a big push in 2011, and then we had approximately 500 offices, which we sold uh, to Toronto Dominion in 07 for eight and a half billion dollars. A friend of mine had been trying to get me to take this business model to Britain, and uh, he called me when we sold Commerce and said, uh, "You got no excuse not to do it." So, from scratch, I flew to London. From scratch, I flew to London, began the process of getting a new bank license. It took a couple years to do it. Uh, we've raised $400 million in capital. We've built 200 locations in the greater London market. We'll have 16 open by the end of this year. The British customers have overwhelmingly embraced this service and convenience model, which is nothing like they've ever seen. Yeah, I, I love it. Vernon, the one thing that I disagree with what you said was you said you started with one branch nine people um, 1.5 million dollars and not a clue I think the not a clue part is probably <laughs> one part that is extremely incorrect um, Vernon it's a real privilege to have you on the Bob Pritchard radio show I really thank you for your time and I hope that some of your wisdom and some of your success rubs off on both myself well myself in particular and the listeners. <laughs> now, don't forget to get a Thank copy you, of Vernon. Don't forget to get a copy of Vernon's new book, "Fans Not Customers," from any good bookstore or Amazon. Vernon, if my listeners would like to find out more about you and and your successes, do you have a website they can go to? Yeah, there's a website. We have a website with the name of the book you just get, gave, "Fans Not Customers." Dot uh, net, and uh, they can also check the Metro Bank UK website where it has uh, a lot of information about what we're doing in Britain. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Great interview. I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Business Radio Show. And we're coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Really interesting talking to Vernon. It's, um, you know, we all know, entrepreneurs listening to this show, just how hard it is to be successful. And here's a guy who um, takes one business and a million dollars and turns it into eight and a half billion um, in, a highly comp- in a business where you've got 14,000 competitors. I mean, that's, um, <laughs> that's an incredibly, incredible effort. I, um, and he is really such a good guy with no pretense whatsoever. Now, this is the segment where I answer your emails. And because we get emails from all over the planet, each week I try to answer at least one email from outside the United States. Now, this, I think the email segment is so popular because it doesn't matter where you are in the world or what business you're in or whatever. We all have the same problems. I know when I'm, when I'm out giving conferences around the world and people ask questions, you know, you close your eyes and you, if you're in Moscow, the questions you get asked are the same questions you get asked in, um, in New York. So it's really interesting. And I think that's why this is so popular because they're specific issues pertaining to people that we all share. My first email today is from Paul Henderson from Fort Worth in Texas, and Paul writes, Dear Bob, I really love your program. I began listening about six months ago, and you have been a terrific help to my business. I've implemented a number of things that you've spoken about, and my business has really grown. I also bought your audio book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, which I am enjoying very much. My issue is that there are a number of businesses in the Fort Worth area that are involved in a similar business to mine. I would imagine that most potential customers out there see my business and my competitors' businesses as being very similar, if not the same. So how do I differentiate myself and stand out? Dear Paul, that's a bloody good question. But first of all, I hope you enjoy the audio book. There's lots of really great information in it which gives you the guts of how to run a business. Um, you know, forget your entrepreneurial invention or whatever it is, but um, just the guts of how to run a business, which is so critical no matter what business you do. There are two really critical things in running a successful business today. The first is differentiating yourself quite clearly from the competition, and the second is providing awesome service, which in itself is a differentiation. And so there's really three ways to differentiate yourself. The first is to position your business and your product as being different and superior to your competitors. To do this, you need to establish a consumer purchasing benefit. Now, that's the one thing that really hits your potential client's hot button and sends them running to you. It also triggers first recall brand awareness so when somebody thinks of you first you get the business if they don't think of you first your chances of getting the business are diminished rapidly so you need to be able to express your advantage over your competition in just five or six words 
For example, there's probably 10 million pizza stores on the planet. But Domino's was able to differentiate themselves from their competitors by its CPB, which was 30 minutes or it's free. They realised that the most important thing for people wanting home-delivered food was to get it fast. So 30 minutes or it's free differentiated themselves from all of the competition because people thought that all pizzas were probably about the same. But if I want it quick, then Domino's is my go. Now, at um, at, at my organisation, we differentiated a children's shoe, shoe store by filling it with sand, and we had lots of beach-type toys and that sort of stuff. And even though the shoes were quite a bit more quite a bit more expensive than, say, Walmart or any of those um, chain stores, the kids were very enthusiastic about going there because it was filled with sand. They could play in the sand. So if you said to your kids, hey, kids, time to buy a new pair of shoes, let's go to Walmart, they'd say, oh, Jesus, Mum, don't want to go to bloody Walmart. But if you said, I want to go to Yellow Balloon, play in the sand, they go, yay, way to go. Okay, let's go. They'll be out of the door before you are. So kids followed their parents. And, um, I mean, parents followed their kids is what I meant to say. And uh, so it was a great success because it was different. So despite the fact that the shoes were the same, they were differentiated by the environment. And giving awesome service and adding value to transactions, for example, through um, helpful newsletters or in-store seminars, that'll also differentiate your business significantly. Paul, since you have an audio copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, we'll send you out a copy of my previous book, which was called Marketing Magic, which also features Brian Tracy, John, uh, J. Conrad Levinson, Robert Bly, and a number of others. It's a great read. And it gives you marketing advice from a number of different perspectives. My second email today is from Margaret, I think it's Sapperstein of Fort Wayne, Indiana, who says, Dear Bob, thanks for giving us such a great program week after week. Can you possibly get a guest from Apple on the program to explain how Siri works? I find it quite incredible that no matter what you ask her, she knows the answer. I would love to know how they do that. Now, my issue is that I have difficulty trying to prioritise between developing my business and trying to generate revenue. It seems to me without developing my business, it will be harder and harder to develop revenue. What do you suggest? Well, let's start off with the guest from Apple. In a couple of weeks, in fact, early in the new year, I've got a lady who designs the intelligent robots that companies are using these days and it can answer any question just like siri can answer anything you ask it and um incidentally do you know that siri in america is a lady as we all know in the uk siri is a really 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 good friend of mine um who works for the bbc and uh so over there it's a guy over here it's a girl so, so anyway, I've got um, this wonderful lady who's who's on the show. She's very funny. She's brilliantly intelligent, and she's the foremost person 
in um, the um, intelligent robots. So you'll learn a lot of her. Margaret, if you ignore money, money will ignore you. <laughs> Simple. While improving your product and building your business is important and it must be ongoing, it's more important to know and understand the numbers in your business. Setting up simple processes that allow you to properly price your products and then track them and monitor them and review what's coming in and what's going out, that is all critical to having a profitable and sustainable business. Paying attention to the money in your business allows you to make more money and keep more of the money that you earn. And now that you're earning more money, it's much easier for you to improve your business, offer better customer service, and really differentiate yourself. Remember, you only have a business when at the end of the week, you've got a significant amount of money left over after expenses. You don't have a business if you simply have a premises full of great stuff and no profits. Margaret, um, we'll send you out a copy of my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is available at all good bookstores and at Amazon. My last email today is from Paul Jackson of London, England. Paul writes, Dear Bob, I operate a small business in Oxford Street in London and I'm interested in your views as to whether the internet will kill small business, particularly retail, in coming years. This is obviously a very important question because I don't want to invest money in upgrading my store if its future is limited. Incidentally, I think your show is great and I always listen to it on my iPhone because it is on live at about midnight here. I know it's on early in the morning because I did a show recently from um, from Switzerland and I had to get up at 3 a.m. to do it live. So I do, um, <laughs> I get the difference in time. Dear Paul, I, I don't think that traditional retail's dead by a long shot. Um, online Retail is still only a small fraction of bricks and mortar retail. But um, in order not to be beaten by the internet, retailers need to be constantly upgraded. A consumer's visit to a store, any store, it needs to be an experience. It needs to be a wow, not just walk in, browse around, walk out, you know, that's boring as batshit. Nobody wants to do that. We want to be entertained. Retail is about edutainment. You've got to educate people and you've got to entertain them and you've got to give them great value and you've got to give them added value. And you need to make an investment in, in employees. You've got to train them. You've got to get a smart employee that can answer all the questions, that can give advice, that can make you feel like you're really getting your value. The uprising in the last couple of weeks by fast food workers in New York for better wages than the seven bucks an hour they're currently getting shows that the culture of keeping labour costs under control at all costs is changing. It also highlighted that high-paying retailers 
such as Costco and Apple, who both have fantastic service, pay their people top wages, they can do that and still be enormously profitable. So what's the story? I know I was looking at um, Big Macs. Um, McDonald's pay $7 an hour here and complaining they can't make a profit. In Australia, they pay $23 an hour and make a big profit. So I don't know who's pulling whose leg. There is so much competition in most retail that retailers are recognising that their key differentiator is that person working in the store. And the retail landscape is increasingly dominated by stores that have adapted to this new reality. Retail success stories like Apple have highly trained, engaging and engaged shop associates. They offer you unique expertise. They come up to you with their, with their iPad and they call you by name. They are fantastic. They motivate a shopper to forego the convenience of internet shopping for an exceptional bricks and mortar experience. So Paul, focus on giving customers a great experience and having highly trained staff that care about their customers and you'll beat the internet hands down. Paul, a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, my latest best-selling book, I'm pleased to say, is on its way to you tomorrow. Now, if you're a regular listener to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, Please tell all your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus and be my friend on LinkedIn. So until the same time next week, have a fantastic week. Let's kick some butt this week, the last week before Christmas. And please help a local entrepreneur with contacts, funding or mentoring. This is Bob Pritchard. I'll be with you again same time next week, no matter where you are in the world. And I am really looking forward to it. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.